0: Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, April 19th, and this is your FT News Briefing. We're approaching a seminal moment in the world's biggest government bond market, and U.S. banks are seeing profit growth slow down. But Bank of America is surprisingly positive about the rest of 2022. Plus, Mexico's populist president wanted a more state-controlled electricity sector, but its Congress said, ah, No thanks. We'll talk to our correspondent in Mexico City. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The Federal Reserve is raising rates, and it's causing real yields on U.S. government to potentially turn positive. It'd be the first time since March 2020. This would be a pretty big moment and could ripple into other U.S. financial markets. To find out more, I'm joined by the FT's U.S. Markets Editor, Eric Platt. Hey, Eric. Hey, how's it going? It's going all right. So,
1: Eric, what are our real yields? Right. So, it, the real yield is what you are being paid minus inflation. So, when that number is negative, it actually means inflation is eating away at the returns that you're getting paid. You're actually losing money, effectively. And so, the Fed, as you know, is actively trying to tighten policy to cool both the economy and to really tamp down these inflationary pressures that you're seeing. And the way that filters through, right, is they raise interest rates. And as interest rates move higher, so do Treasury yields. And what you're starting to see, and what we could see very soon, is, uh, you know, the real yield on the 10-year Treasury, the benchmark for many, many contracts for countless parts of the financial system, could breach into positive territory. And this will have wide-scale ramifications. So I want
0: to get to those ramifications in just a little bit. But first, let's, let's just lay this all out here. So as yields go up, prices go down. They work in inverse, right? And this is to attract investors to buy yields, right? If prices are low and yields are high, it's an incentive. But even with this happening, investors still aren't
1: buying. So have we gotten to a point where investors have just kind of given up on bonds, Well, really, one thing you have to think about is one of the biggest buyers of treasuries over, you know, since the start of the pandemic over the last two years has been the Federal Reserve. And their balance sheet has swelled to about $9 trillion. It's really quite mammoth. They have such a large footprint in the treasury market. And as they've stopped buying treasuries and as they've started to talk about actually letting them mature off their balance sheet, uh, what that means is actually other investors have to fill that hole. And- it's a mammoth hole, right? They're talking about rolling off tens of billions of dollars of treasuries a month starting later this year. And that means, right, if you're a sovereign wealth investor in Japan, if you're T. Rowe Price, what have you, suddenly you're, you're filling this big gap. And, you know, you don't have unlimited firepower like the Fed. And so yield will start to rise, right? Because the buyer base is declining slightly, right? You're demanding more compensation to lend to the U.S. government.
0: So if real yield's you know, say they do break this into this positive territory
1: or go even higher, we could see investor demand pop up, right? Exactly. And this is where you will see ramifications throughout other markets, right? When real yields were so depressed and so deeply negative, if you're a pension manager and you're like, oh, I'm going to lose 1% a year on this investment in U.S. Treasuries, maybe I'm going to look into corporate bonds, or maybe I'm going to look into loans. I'm going to look at a wider array of options. Now, as U.S. Treasuries start to pay you a greater return, that calculus shifts a bit, right? You're suddenly like, oh, do I actually need to be going out on, consider it like the risk spectrum? Do I need to be as risky as I've been? No, actually, you know, I can get 3% a year on the 10-year Treasury. That's not a terrible rate, perhaps, especially compared to, you know, recent memory.
0: And over the past few years, we've seen stocks soar, right? We were in a low-risk environment. The stock market went up. And bonds, you know, people kind of forgot about bonds. Um, but now that the stock market has gotten a little bit more volatile, could we see investors move towards something
1: a little bit more low risk, a little bit more secure like bonds? Exactly, right? And this is actually the, like when we talk to investors and strategists, right? The $64,000 question is how high do real yields go, right? If the Fed is tightening policy, but actually Treasuries kind of top out where we are, okay, is this super attractive? Eh, you know, maybe not, but every little bit counts. And as it keeps rising, it will provide more income, more return for these investors. And it does start to weigh on demand and on other asset classes. And so this is what everyone is, is wondering, just kind of how high can treasury yields go?
0: Eric Platt is the FT's U.S. Markets Editor. Thanks as always, Eric. Gladly. U.S. banks had a tough first quarter as dealmaking slowed down and the war in Russia ramped up. The biggest U.S. banks all reported slowing profits, and yesterday Bank of America did the same. But as the FT's Imani Moise reports, the country's second largest bank was notably optimistic.
2: I think because what they're seeing is a return of loan growth, and loan growth is something that the industry has been waiting for for Almost two years now, just after the stimulus and the tax credits and all of the kind of excess liquidity that consumers and companies had throughout the pandemic, uh, there hasn't been a lot of loan growth, which is kind of what a lot of the main street lenders like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan rely on to boost their revenue. Um, So what they're seeing is borrowing appetite return. And there's the promise of higher interest rates from the Fed, all of which will mean higher revenue for these banks.
0: But Imani, there's you know still concern over inflation, a possible recession as as interest rates go up. Did Bank of America take all that into account?
2: The term that they use is that they're very mindful of these things. However, I think from their vantage point, they're seeing a really, really strong U.S. consumer. They're seeing companies with strong balance sheets. So they believe that consumers can still withstand kind of the extra pain from inflation um, and kind of uh, absorb some of that blow without necessarily plunging the economy into a recession. So, for example, Brian Moynihan, CEO of Bank of America, gave some color on what's happening with the lower income Americans and their lower segment of customers and saying they still have deposits that are significantly above pre-pandemic levels. So even if they have to spend more for fuel or spend more when, when they go shopping, they have enough cushion to kind of absorb that.
0: So why is Bank of America more bullish than other big banks?
2: Yeah, I think the positive aspects of their report were able to shine through a little bit more just because they're not as impacted by the war in Ukraine. They do have a more domestic focus than a Citigroup, for example, so they didn't have to worry about outsized losses tied to Russian exposure.
0: Imani Moiz is the FT's U.S. banking correspondent. In Mexico yesterday, lawmakers rejected a proposal from the country's populist president. It would have boosted state control of the electricity sector and weakened the role of private investors. It was a stinging defeat for President Andres Manuel López Obrador, or AMLO, as he's known. Here's the FT's Christine Murray in Mexico City.
3: It's a stinging defeat because this is such an important issue for President López Obrador, but it wasn't surprising in the sense that the markets were expecting this, given the makeup um, of Congress, that López Obrador's party, Morena, doesn't have the supermajority that it needs in both houses to pass constitutional reforms.
0: Now, we should say that the energy bill that AMLO put forward, it it did get a simple majority, not the two-thirds supermajority that it needed, but it did get a simple majority. Why didn't the opposition get on board with the president's plan?
3: Well, there was a lot of strong opposition to this bill from the private sector, from diplomats, um, and in particular from the U.S. government, which was extremely worried by this proposal. They said they would use uh, mechanisms under the trade agreement USMCA. The private sector more broadly said that it would destroy investment confidence in the country uh, and make Mexico's electricity more dirty by relying on the state power provider rather than private renewables companies.
0: So Christine, is there a chance that AMLO could take another shot at this or is this energy bill basically dead?
3: So the president himself has said he won't send another bill like this and it'll be up to whoever succeeds him in 2024 uh, when there's the next presidential election. And now everyone is paying attention to a bill to nationalize lithium that the president sent to Congress once it was clear that uh, his constitutional reform and electricity was going to be defeated.
0: Christine Murray is the FT's Mexico and Central America correspondent. Finally, the Chinese government said the country's economy grew 4.8% last quarter. That's faster than expected. But a closer look at the data shows consumer activity in the world's second-largest economy is contracting. Chinese officials are enforcing COVID-19 lockdowns across the country, and that appears to be threatening economic growth. Retail sales, for example, fell 3.5% in March compared with the previous year. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth
3: advisor today at corient.com. That's corient.com. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys. With good credit from a local business to a global corporation.